coming up. So there are four main contributors to disease. This is according to the Cleveland Clinic. It's parasites, number one, pretty much mostly foodborne. You have bacteria, which can be foodborne and airborne, right? Uh, also, it could be just skin contact. You have viruses, right? As we learn about through COVID, virus contamination mostly comes through through the air transmission. So that's going to be an environmental issue there. And then you have fungi as the final thing, which obviously mold is part of fungi. Um, and so when we look at that, you know, really three of the four things, you know, viruses, bacteria, and fungi here, we can get in our own homes or in indoor spaces. Um, and we're most likely to get them in indoor spaces. And so I think when air quality really should be a lot higher at the forefront than it currently is. Okay, Kimmy and Megan, like, why are you talking about mold? What's the point of this episode? <laughs> the point is that some people are very sensitive to mold. Mm-hmm. And there's even people that genetically cannot handle mold. Like, their body may not be able to fight it. Is it about location where you live? Is it about when your home was built? Is it about materials? How do we know that like the fungus is among us? Signs and symptoms of mold illness and then uh, maybe show us some pictures of like what it could look like. You know, brain fog, chronic fatigue. These are probably the top two things that seem to have a common denominator amongst everyone I talk to. Uh, Skin rashes, a big thing, skin issues, Weight loss, weight gain, Um, you know, I know it's weird, but it happens both ways. Um, We have um, autoimmune deficiency. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website, www.mouthmusclememory.com. Now on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. I am your co-host, Megan Vinoy, uh, with my Mayo bestie and real-life bestie, Kimmy <laughs> Nishimoto. Uh, we are so excited, you guys. Uh, today, we have an awesome, awesome guest joining us. Um, perfect time of year, to, uh, at least in the Portland area, where it's all damp and dreary. And uh, we're talking about mold today, you guys. So we have... Uh, the mold medic Michael Rubino on with us and we are going to talk all about mold and mold sickness and what to do about it how to help your home Um, Michael is the author of the mold medic which is an expert's guide on mold removal so we're going to give him the floor in just a second but before we do Kimmy let's uh, pull our affirmator for the day okay Michael, since you're our guest, you I will flip through cards and you just tell me when to stop. Fantastic. That sounds exciting. And let's stop there. Okay. <laughs> Open-heartedness. And Ooh, we have this little bookworm. Yep. I know that life and the people living in it can be an absolute bummer sometimes. 
but I promise not to let unhappy chapters make me jaded. If I let negative experiences turn me sour, then the jerks win. So I'll move on with an open and hopeful heart, if only because I hate losing to jerks. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about you, your background, um, how you got into mold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a good place to start. Well, my name is Michael Rubino. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. And I love the affirmation for this week. That sounds great. Um, you know, and by the way, I know I don't live in Portland, so I can't be your real life bestie, but hopefully we've become <laughs> besties, you know, after this episode here. Uh, I've got into the industry uh, since my dad was a restoration contractor since I'm about oh. five. I've just been around construction my entire life. Um, you know, primarily I see a lot of fire restoration being done, but of course, you know, fires get put out with water and it creates this whole biological soup inside people's homes. And so that's always a big part of it. Uh, but really, actually, it was after Hurricane Sandy. Um, I'm in my mid 20s. I start noticing a pattern of people getting sick. This mm-hmm. is this was a new this was a new concept to me before, like many people in society, they don't realize that there's stuff out there smaller than what you can even see that can harm you like viruses and bacteria and mold, right. And so um, as I started to do a deeper dive into, you know, how do I help people through this? Um, I realized there's been a lot of missing information just in the remediation community in and of itself uh, that really was missing the boat on how this stuff does affect people and what we need to do about it. And so that's fun, a 10 year journey into me um, figuring that out, creating processes, creating a company around solving that problem, which led to me writing the book to kind of talk about all these discoveries and uh, define, you know, my process and how do you really look at the home and remediate the home properly when you need to. But I think, you know, overall, looking forward, my goal is to really make sure that everyone creates more of an importance around air quality so that they're not an adverse effect of it uh, if they have poor air quality. And I've seen this in so many cases that, you know, at this point, I'm just trying to shout from every rooftop that'll mm-hmm. have me. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my story there. We'll have you. <laughs> Shout away. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Great. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was interesting um, because I do think that's something, you know, I that uh, people don't necessarily always think about. Like a lot of times people just kind of think mold is there. But then when things happen to your home and, you know, when you said biological soup, I was like, ew, what a visual. <laughs> but like so true, right? And then a lot of times, you know, people don't know what to do with it. They don't know for sure that it's like completely out of their home. It's almost sometimes it feels like mold begets mold. It's like, (laughs) how do you stop it? So um, I love that uh, you kind of found this, you know, passion from just seeing all the things that uh, you ran into uh, growing up. So um, what do you feel like, is it about lo- location where you live? Is it about when your home was built? Is it about materials? How do we know that, like, the fungus is among us? <laughs> well, um, it's a great question. I think there's always variables, no matter what it is in life that you're trying to do. Um, definitely where you live plays a part in it, right? Because if you live in a humid area, like Florida, for example, you're going to want to have a lot of dehumidification strategies in place, right? 
Now, if you live in a dry climate like Arizona, for example, you're probably going to have the reverse problem where you're going to want to add humidity, right? But not too much because you reach a certain threshold and mold's very easy to grow there. Um, we also have, obviously, the way the home is built. I mean, we use various building materials from metal to concrete to wood. And you have to understand, you know, the consequences of using such building materials, like for metal. Everyone's like, oh, we'll just use metal. No problem. Great. Well, metal can condensate. Right. And so now we have to make sure it's well insulated if we're going to use metal. Uh, if we use wood. Right. Then we have to have various layers of building materials that prevent water from impacting the wood and then impacting the insulation and drywall on the other side. Uh, cement is also semi-porous, just like wood. So it also has its challenges in making sure that there's proper layers of waterproofing material. Uh, I think, you know, with that all said and done, you know, wh where we see the biggest problems is when people use materials that other, that is fine to use, but they didn't use it in the right context to make sure that as water does migrate in, it's got a path to get to travel back out um, and not inside of our homes. And I think the real important part of this too is why is this so important? Well, in 1970s, when we had Richard Nixon as president, uh, we really started to go down this path of energy efficiency. And we've only, you know, really expanded on that path as the decades have gone on. And um, when we went down that path, we forgot about one of the consequences of that path. And that's, well, if we're trying to keep energy really efficient, what do we do? Well, we try to keep energy from escaping. So what do we do? We build tighter homes. Well, without with tighter homes, less air exchange, the more problems we have indoors, it magnifies those problems because there's not enough air exchange to dilute those problems. So mm. that means that every breath that we take, we're breathing a lot more in than we were in, you know, 50s, 60s, et cetera. Mm. And so as we look at that, that's why this has become such a larger problem that actually continues to get worse because we still haven't, you know, really come to this awareness and have decided that, hey, you know, if we're going to have energy efficiency, we need to counteract that with making sure that we're waterproofing buildings better and we need some sort of air exchange, right, to prevent this from happening. Otherwise, even if we don't have a mold problem or a bacteria problem, and we use chemicals and stuff like that in our home, even those too is those off gas and VOCs is those off gas. And, you know, heck, we got to buy furniture and that can contain formaldehyde, which will also dissipate. Uh, you know, we're going to be breathing in more of that than we normally would. So, it's really just mapping this out and putting a plan together to help curtail this, which we really haven't done because, you know, there's not that many people that are concerned about it and we need more concern here. Mm. I have no idea what a sump pump is. I'll be honest with you guys. Oh, I, I have do, one in my house. <laughs> I do remember like we had a mold issue in my house and my parents were always like, oh, the sump pump is leaking again and there would be water all over the front yard. Is a sump pump related to mold issue? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. All right. Well, what a sump pump does that essentially is it usually installed in a wet area so that as water does migrate in, it pumps it out. Right. And so we might have sump pumps in our basements or yep. crawl spaces. Right. We also mm -hmm. may want to have a dehumidifier installed in our home and we'll use like a sump pump to then drain the water away from the house. Um, and yes, they're pumps. They plug into an outlet. Uh, they pump water out. It's a motor. And so motors break, things break. We have to replace those things. And yep. what happens if, if, if it's failing, right, the water pump uh, has a pit, right? And as that 
water starts to elevate and the pump's not pumping it out, guess what? It spills over and leaks. So that's the phenomenon that occurred that you're explaining here in this scenario. And essentially, you know, yeah, I mean, that that can be a problem, of course, because too much water, but, um, you know, having a sump pump also can be a blessing when you have, a you know, severe water issues with the property that you need to solve. And so it's really like anything else, you know, if we install a sump pump, we have to check it and maintain it. Just like when we install a roof on our house, we got to check it and maintain it. Um, so it's, it's no real difficulty there, but I think we just need to be more mindful of checking these things. And we currently are because most people, human nature, we don't really look at anything until we know it's a problem. Right. And mm -hmm. so more preventative action with our homes is going to be is going to pay itself in dividends for sure. Hmm. And what would be like the most common cause of mold that you see? Is it like, you know, like the hurricanes or you were mentioning like the fire, if there's like a home fire, um, what other like kind of events could be the impetus for the mold? Yeah, I mean, I think we know about these big events. That's pretty self-explanatory. But, you know, yeah. what what other places do I see mold grow often and, and what's the cause of it? Leaking plumbing devices oh. all the time. Um, improperly waterproof showers, right? So oh, um, yeah. I actually just I just bought a house. We're, we're remediating it right now so I can eventually one day move in there. That day feels like forever away at this point because <laughs> we keep finding more problems. But one of the interesting things that I that I see a lot in my clients that I experience in my own home is when they built this shower, and I would imagine this shower was probably done in the early 2000s, they essentially put cement board up, then they tiled on top of the cement board, right? And, you know, that that those were two good steps to take, but they're missing a very vital third step is they didn't have any waterproofing membrane that the tile would go on top of, right? So essentially they should have waterproofed the top of the cement board so that if water gets behind the tile, which by the way, it always will, because grout is semi-porous, mm -hmm. then you wouldn't have this situation where water would constantly be leaking into that area, et cetera, et cetera. What's crazy about this whole scenario is that shower was leaking since it was probably done in the 2000s. And lo and behold, I mean, the floor was rotted so much so that we actually had to replace the structure of the floor wow. because there were holes in the floor. I mean, it was mind boggling how, you know, like someone didn't fall through there with the weight of the tile and all that stuff. I mean, it rotted walls, like walls had to be rebuilt. I mean, there was a wow. lot of damage that this thing caused. And, and there's there's what what is going to be our kids playroom right below that bathroom. And that whole ceiling was rotted, too, from underneath. So you know, it created a lot of damage off this one stupid shower just because mm -hmm. they didn't waterproof it. And so I can't tell you how many bathrooms built in the 90s and 2000s that are that are this way, because really Red Guard and some of these other waterproofing products for showers really didn't start to come out until, you know, sometime around the 2005 plus era. So a lot of showers built previous to 2005 have been built with that. Um, and so you get a lot of leaking showers from that. Uh, I've also seen, you know, vanities, sinks, toilets leak, you know, that, that, that happens. Um, problems in the attic and basements and crawl spaces tend to be the, you know, largest surface areas inside of a home that if they have a problem, they're going to create a lot of impact. Uh, we see this time and time again with, you know, poor ventilation in an attic, not allowing that moisture uh, born air to escape. 
Um, we also have roof leaks, right? Basements and crawl spaces, they're subgrades. So you're constantly prone to water intrusion from just being below ground yeah. um, without having good waterproofing and, you know, dehumidification strategies to extract the water out of the air. You're, once it reaches 60% relative humidity or more, you're allowing this environment where mold and bacteria can thrive. And so, you know, having these countermeasures in place is something that people really didn't address uh, even to this day, aren't addressing as much as they should. And that's going to provide you a better kind of foundation. And then, of course, you have a problem. The HVAC system is is very vulnerable to get contaminated because the HVAC system has what's something called a coil that constantly condensates, which means it's wet, which means that mold and bacteria and viruses and toxins love it. And right. so we start to get into this scenario where problems, you know, small problems turn into big problems pretty quick if they're recirculating and start starting to grow in the HVAC as well. So, um, you know, what do you do about it? You fix it up, you clean it, you prevent it from happening again. You clean the HVAC, you clean the home of all the particles and toxins. I know I make it sound so easy, right? Um, <laughs> but, but that's the, the simplicity of what really needs to be done and in that sequence. And I think for, for most people, when, when looking at this, like, Everyone that I talk to, um, you know, is it's like I got to deal with ten years worth of problems here in one short order, and it's a lot, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that that stuff can can cost and add up quickly. So, you know, I think if how do we solve this problem? Well, we become more aware as a society. We are more on top of little things as they are little things before they become big things, and right. we do things step by step so that we're not, you know, having to kind of smushed together 10 years worth of projects in, in, in one short project here, which, which of course always makes it, uh, you know, a financial barrier. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about HVAC, I thought about my childhood again. Um, we had a swamp cooler. Are swamp coolers more prone to mold? Are swamp coolers more prone to mold? Um, you know, I think really anything that's, changing the pressure of the air right so like um you know swamp coolers you have a uh, whole house fans too which i don't know yeah. if, uh, if you guys have ever seen or come across where basically you turn on a switch and it instantly releases all of the air in the house and pushes it up and out of the house um which is another you know kind of like a swamp cooler strategy where you're using minimal electricity to kind of um cool the air if you will uh, but anything that changes the airflow, you have to always look at what's that what's that doing to the house, right? Because with this whole house fan, for example, you're basically putting the house under negative pressure. So you're going to be pulling all of this air from interstitial cavities, which is going to migrate from outside inside. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily a problem. But if you have, you know, several mold issues inside your house, for example, that might be hidden behind a wall. Is going to be pulling that from behind the wall in front of the wall more aggressively, which is going to impact the air that you breathe. And so, you know, it's just looking at some of these things as a as a risk factor. Um, I think the best systems that you can have today, and this this changes all the time. Ten years ago was something else, but I think a central AC system is probably one of the best systems that you can have today. Mainly because there's technology out there where you can filter out tiny particles like mold and bacteria and toxins, even some viruses um, from getting into the unit. And if you can do that, you know, you, what you're actually doing is you're turning your unit into an air purifier 
And you're also protecting the investment of the HVAC so that it's not redistributing the stuff all over the house. And of course, it's not going to start growing on the coil because you're preventing it from getting to the coil. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's really one of the only technologies currently that have such great filtration um, capabilities that you can do uh, if you, you know, know what to look for and get the right products, et cetera. But everything else has this limitations like mini splits, for example. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned the, the central air. Cause I was curious about that this summer. We went to Italy and it was like not almost hundred <laughs> degrees. You walk outside and you're just drenched in sweat inside the hotel. We had an air conditioning unit, those like wall units. And it was so hot and so humid in, in Sicily that it was just, all that condensing water from the AC was just dripping. And at nighttime, I put a little water bottle underneath the AC unit so it wouldn't leak all over the floor. I'd filled up an entire two liter of water just dripping from the AC. So that makes a lot of sense to my brain. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Well, and, um, you know, I'm thinking about like some of these homes, like you're talking about taking that extra step, you know, especially kind of in like Portland, Seattle, these big areas where like they're throwing up a lot of homes really quickly and new developments. And they're just like, you know, cheapest things possible, trying to just put them up, put them up, put them up. You know, I wonder how many of these homes that are, you know, seemingly like look gorgeous and really nice, how many have like took shortcuts and now are going to have these mold issues over, you know, over the years. Way too many. I mean, I, one of the biggest problems I see in the building community today is um, when they deliver the lumber, they're supposed to elevate it out of the soil, wrap it, leave both ends open for ventilation. It's it's in the the guides of how to install trust frame construction. But I, I, I don't know if people don't read the guides or just don't think it's that big of a deal. Because um, if you drive around America, uh, I don't Seattle, Portland, um, I've seen the same thing in Tampa. Um, you, you, you'll find lumber all strung over the soil. And what's really bad about that is mold and bacteria are abundant in the soil, right? And so the other thing is kind of going back to like elementary science class here, you know, if you got trap moisture, right, you leave a wet sponge on a countertop, that moisture is going to stay wet underneath the counter, underneath that sponge far longer than around it, right? Because Mm -hmm. air helps things dry. Well, if the wood smushed into the soil, Right, it's going to trap the moisture between the soil and the lumber. It's going to tr- be able to transfer mold from the soil to the lumber, bacteria from the soil to the lumber. And now we have this situation where we're building homes and it's already moldy from day one before it's even freaking built. And then, you know, the question becomes obviously, well, it's only going to get worse too as more rain and water adds to it once you have a growth issue there where that wouldn't be the case. If it was not in the soil and then built, then it would be fine because it would be drying uh, a lot quicker than uh, if it's trapped moisture there. So I think, you know, that's one simple thing we can do in the building community to, to really help out. But um, unfortunately, this is kind of the things that happen and we have to learn our lessons. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. We want to introduce this spot for Tots course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages two to five for Mini Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over 
nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. Uh, the course is $2.97 and the link will be in the description. So you guys are probably wondering like, okay, Kimmy and Megan, like, why are you talking about mold? What's the point of this episode? <laughs> the point is that some people are very sensitive to mold. Mm -hmm. And there's even people that genetically cannot handle mold. Like their body may not be able to fight it. Um, I know a family where mom and the kids have that gene. Dad does not. They've been in the same old house. Dad was fine. Kids and mom were sick. So will you talk to us about signs and symptoms of mold illness and then uh, maybe show us some pictures of like what it could look like? I'd be happy to. I want to start it out, kick it off with some statistics just to blow people's minds a bit. First off, you know, it's important to understand when we're looking at health and what we want to do to protect our health what makes something unhealthy, right? So there are four main contributors to disease. This is according to the Cleveland Clinic. It's parasites, number one, pretty much mostly foodborne. You have bacteria, which can be foodborne and airborne, right? Uh, also, it could be just skin contact. You have viruses, right? As we learn about through COVID, virus contamination mostly comes through, through the air transmission. So that's going to be an environmental issue there. And then you have fungi as the final thing, which obviously mold is part of fungi. Um, and so when we look at that, you know, really three of the four things, you know, viruses, bacteria, and fungi here, we can get in our own homes or in indoor spaces. Um, and we're most likely to get them in indoor spaces. And so I think when air quality really should be a lot higher at the forefront than it currently is, because most of these things we're going to get through our environment. And so I, I want to drive that point home because hopefully that'll Perfect. drive the importance of the episode here. Uh, we also have another interesting statistic, not sure if it's related or not, but I, I'd certainly love to see more data on this. And it's over 50% of the global population deals with at least one chronic condition, right? So we talked mm -hmm. about what creates disease leading to chronic conditions, right? And now we realize that 50% of the global population deals with one, at least one chronic condition. I wonder what that number could be if we paid more attention to air quality worldwide, right? Uh, so I, I start off with that. Um, when we talk about air quality and all this other stuff, one last statistic to mention is according to the American Lung Association, any particle smaller than 10 microns has the greatest health risk because at that size, right, it bypasses the immune cell, uh, mute the self defense mechanisms of the body immediately enters the bloodstream. What's smaller than 10 microns, mold, bacteria, viruses. Um, so it's, it's kind of important to kind of tie all that together because it, it makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. Um, when it, we talk about mold illness, it shows up differently in, in many different people. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure just in the last year of, of making contact with over a thousand uh, different clients and patients and uh, learning about them and doing my best to help people, you know, wherever their means are and whatever situation they're going through. I'm seeing so many different categories of illness and so many different, you know, things show up in people, but, you know, brain fog, chronic fatigue, these are probably the top two things that seem to have a common denominator amongst everyone I talk to. Uh, skin rashes, a big thing, skin issues, 
weight loss, weight gain. Um, you know, I know it's weird, but it happens both ways. Um, we have, um, autoimmune deficiencies for sure that seem to be exacerbated in these unhealthy environments. Uh, we have inflammation as a big thing, uh, which, you know, obviously can be so many different things, but it seems to be much worse when your body's dealing with all these particles and toxins that it needs to remove. Um, and I, and I do have some pictures here to kind of diagram mm -hmm. out some of the other things. Should I share my screen here? Yeah, we would love that. I think that's a really interesting um, thing that like we wanted to talk to you about because the brain fog and the fatigue also overlap with what Megan and I do. It's just like teaching people how to nose breathe, helping them with their sleep quality so they have less brain fog and fatigue. But sometimes you run into that barrier. Like what if you have mold illness and you have that chronic sinus issues? Everything that we do is dependent on that nose being open, getting the nitric oxide, having that clear nasal pathway. So this is fascinating to us. I mean, you know, what if it's all connected, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's 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 something that I always uh, kind of harp on is because if it's all connected, I mean, how will we ever get ahead in life? We're not paying more attention to air quality, to improve our sinuses, to improve the, the ability to sleep to reduce the inflammation, right? That leads to these whole hosts of things. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not, not going to pretend that, that it's all linked, but I, I do like to ask questions such as what if, and me asking myself, what if in everything that I've done in life has led to so many great discoveries that I've made, which has helped a lot of people. And so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, it's, it's not my horse in that race. I have no expertise in that field. However, uh, if, hopefully, if I ask what if enough times, uh, somebody will help us out and start to do the work on the research mm -hmm. side of things. And um, I'm going to pull up this picture here now to kind of get this party started on, you know, some of the things. And can you see that? Yes. Make it bigger here. All right. So this is a diagram of the, the typical things that you would see um, with mold, right? So it's itchy ears, buzzing sound, ringing ears, things of that nature, red, itchy, watery eyes, um, sneezing, congestion, runny nose, itchy or sore throat, post-nasal drip, cough. Uh, you know, we talked about brain fog, chronic fatigue, um, cognitive impairment, the work that Dr. Bredesen is doing on um, inhalational Alzheimer's is has been phenomenal seeing how you know, environmental toxins that get into the body can lead to the early onset of dementia and something that he's coined inhalational Alzheimer's, you know, cognitive impairment, I think, is a, is a really profound discovery, because, you know, it seems to me that there's no end in sight into the possibilities that this could be, you know, either causing or exacerbating. Um, certainly a lot more research is done. So some interesting things that I found in the media lately, uh, this is somebody's skin reaction mm. um, to, I think it was a mold exposure that they wow. were exposed to it in a, in a school. This was over in Europe, I believe. And, um, you know, this is kind of her taking a picture of her face here of a massive breakout, obviously. And, mm. you know, if you read the article, there was a whole whole other host of symptoms she was experiencing. But you know, from a visual perspective, you know, you can see obviously that, that there's some reaction here that uh, is apparent. And, um, 
as far as uh, she's claiming that before that she had no skin issues mm. and after the exposure, she had skin issues. So, you know, mm. it's interesting to see um, also because sometimes people don't have a visual of some of the things that can become apparent uh, based upon our, our skin. I'm going to stop sharing here and then open up another one. Um, well, and I think cool. while, while you're opening that, you know, I think yeah. too, a lot of times, you know, you see some of these skin reactions or you see some of these other like signs and symptoms and it's not always like mold doesn't always get kind of thrown into the like mix of what could be going on. So I think it's so great mm -hmm. that you're talking about bacteria, virus, and, you know, mold. We've got to like, we got to look at everything. So I think a lot of people probably get misdiagnosed or it doesn't totally. even come into the purview. I would just think like, oh, I have acne. Like, oh, I must yeah. be hormonal. I'm breaking out. Yeah. Or allergic reaction to something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And look, and obviously, you know, these things can happen when you have an allergic reaction. They right. can happen through the hormonal changes. Right. But um, I think our minds always go there as like the first thing. And, you know, we don't often look at our environment and it's important just to know all the different variables, right? Because, you know, if I have a reaction like this, what am I doing? I'm probably going on WebMD and I'm like, all right, good. So either I have eczema or I'm dying, one or yeah. the other, right? And so, <laughs> right? you know, no we in don't between. Really, there's no in between. And, you know, for, for some people, right, when you're looking up what is going on, what's, what's really the end result? You want to find out an answer to something so that at the end of the day, you can do something about it. And so, for so many people, if air quality is not on their radar, right, they're going to be chasing all these other things, spending all this time and money on other solutions that don't work. And, you know, at the end of the day, if this was it all along, you could have ruled this out, you could have handled this and been moved on by now. And so I think for a lot of people, it's just having the information that, you know, like this photo can be caused due to poor air quality, due to mold or bacteria. Hmm. I mean, that's great to, to know, right? It's not great to experience, of course, but it's great to know so that you can remove this experience as quickly as possible. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things for me and why I do what I do is I've just seen so many people struggle, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I kind of am like an empath of myself. I mean, there's, there's times I'll have a consult with somebody and I'm like shaking to my core of, of listening to their experience and feeling that pain and emotion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, times a thousand times, you know, 10 years. I mean, um, I wasn't seeing or talking to a thousand people earlier on in my career, but you know, you get the gist of it. It's a lot of people and you start to experience what they're experiencing. It is, it is heartbreaking and all they needed. Like when you listen to everybody's story, it's like, I've been struggling for four years, five years, you know, if that could be so much shorter, right. You know, it's so much life to get back. Mm -hmm. these people often feel kind of crappy too they're just always mm -hmm. tired or they get sick really easily or frequently and I yeah. think it's interesting the last picture that you showed um of like the nose all those symptoms mm -hmm. are classic like seasonal allergies or environmental mm -hmm. yeah. allergies that's what I was so, thinking about mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and I got I got one more of hives and you know I I'll be I'll be frank I don't see hives a lot, but I have seen them. And, um, you know, this is a photo of hives, again, allegedly mm. from mold exposure. Um, mm. I, I don't have all the data to confirm or deny, but 
this is the photo taken. And, you know, there was, there's one case that always kind of stuck with me. It was a client in Brooklyn um, a couple of years ago now that had like probably one of the highest levels of mycotoxins that I've seen inside their home by testing the dust, Mm. um, had pretty, pretty severe levels of mold. There was a, it was like a company screwed something into their ceiling, hit a pipe that was leaking for a long time. They didn't know. And I mean, the whole place basically had to be taken back down and, and rebuilt. But she had, I mean, you know, like these severe skin rashes and lesions oh. all over her body. Mm. And, um, you know, it's it's really it's really interesting how you see these things develop differently from person to person. Mm-hmm. But it's important to kind of look at this and say, well, I want to I want people to, to know this so they can start to rule out if air quality is a problem. Uh, and I think that's really important. And, you know, when you read my book, I think one of the things you'll discover is the fact that air quality, um, it's not as linear as we would like. You know, the, the industry itself is very archaic. Um, you know, they believe that air quality means if you take a sample in the center of the room and it comes back fine, that that's, that's good air quality. And, you know, when we understand the limitations of testing and how the t- that test really is only picking up about a three foot radius. Uh, our room's a lot bigger than a three foot radius. And so we have the potential to miss things, you know, more likely uh, if you test closer to exterior walls, if you test, you know, walls closer to walls that have plumbing on them, you'll have a lot more accurate information as to where, if there are any leaks, where they could be and what the result of those leaks could be. And um, it's just getting people into the frame of mind of not only empowering them with the education to go and do something about it, but also do the right thing about it. And so um, that's that's been one of the challenges that that I've seen over the years and why I wrote the book on that. Mm-hmm. What are like some of the practical things, you know, like we're talking about, you know, to people who've had like, you know, my home, my house was built in like 1920. Um, and they've done updates and stuff to it. Um, but we were even talking about how like current homes are built sometimes, or, you know, you're moving into your home and you're dealing with like 10 years of, <laughs> or more of damage. What are some practical things that people can do in their home, like to protect against mold, to kind of remediate, you know, again, some of these smaller problems before they become bigger problems, what are, what are some practical things people can do? Yeah, I think, you know, we have to kind of reframe our minds around, you know, we want, we want to do is we want to do within our means to create a healthy home, right? Mm-hmm. And so what a lot of people do is they kind of go down this path of like, all right, I probably have mold. Let me get a mold inspector. And they kind of do that archaic process we just described. Uh, or, or maybe they find some issues and they call like a mold remediation company to come in and remove some mold. But there's so much more about creating a healthy environment than that, right? You know, we have to look at uh, we have to look at accumulation of dust as as a really big endeavor here because um, when you have mold or you have bacteria or viruses or what have you, right, that are traversing across your house, they're settling in your dust. That's how they continue to travel and migrate. And when they settle with your dust, they continuously recirculate until that dust is removed. And dust doesn't disappear, right? We've we've all climbed on our kitchen cabinets and seen like 10 years worth of dust up there and we're like, holy crap, I better clean this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't remove on its own, right? Right. And so it stays with us until we we do physically remove it. And so we let a lot of stuff accumulate in our environment. And having a plan to have, you know, having a cleaning plan 
that we develop routinely and also, you know, once a year doing like a deep dive clean, cleaning all the stuff we might not always clean all the time. Um, but also with that being said is like, is my stuff cleanable, right? Because we, if we have a lot of carpets, carpets are not really that cleanable unless you get one of those machine washable ones or you can throw right in the laundry. Um, mm-hmm. If if they're installed and they're wall to wall carpets, even worse, because the only time you could ever clean them is getting like a Stanley steamer cleaning company over to do that. Um, and, and they never really fully get clean, right? And so it's kind of starting to reframe around what can I clean? How, how can I clean it? And buying things more cleanable than we have in the past, um, you know, and and starting to look at that type of creating a lifestyle around it, right? You know, protecting our HVAC, filtering our HVAC, air purifiers, the whole nine. So it's a lot more than just you know getting the guy out to remove some mold in the wall. That's that's mm-hmm. not very likely to make you feel better. Um, it's definitely going to help it create less particles and toxins, which over time will make you feel better, but there's other things that we need to consider with creating a healthy environment. Hmm. What's your opinion on like, if you're in a high humidity area, like Florida or like the Bay area of California, for example, uh, where it's very high humidity, do you like dehumidifiers? Um, Do you like air purifiers? Do you find that that's helpful? Yeah, it's 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 making sure your HVAC systems are appropriately sized because obviously oh. they're designed to remove humidity as well. That's what that coil is there for, and that's what that drip pan's for to pull all that moisture out and drain it outside. Uh, when you see that HVAC systems aren't appropriately sized, you know you see a lot of problems with humidity there. Um, you know. That, that whole design is important, but sometimes you need a little bit of help anyway, and you install a, a standalone dehumidifier to control the humidity. If you live in a high humidity area, it's really important that you understand 60% relative humidity or more allows an environment to grow. And so if we keep it below, you know, I, I, I wouldn't keep it at 59%. I, I don't like to live on the edge that much. Uh, I'm trying to keep it between like 45 and 50%. You know, because too dry, obviously, creates a lot of other issues like dry skin, cracked skin, but also drying and cracking of wood substrates in your home, which isn't good either. So you really want to have a a nice sweet spot. Um, It is very possible. I mean, I live in Florida, right? And so um, I I deal with it. It's something that is, you know, it's again, it's if you know it and you deal with it, it doesn't become a problem. It's if you don't know and you let it become a problem, then it's very likely to become one. Hmm. Interesting. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. It's so crazy just just to think like, I already said this earlier, I don't want to like repeat the same joke, but like the fungus is among us, like, and just trying to stay on top of it and um, be able to address it. I, I like that there are some like, practical, like attainable things to do to like help remediate. And then obviously, like if there's bigger projects, if there's more, uh, you know, people can call you, right? So if you, mm-hmm. if somebody had a big mold problem, you know, would they get in contact with you? How, what would it look like working with you? Well, if somebody has a big mold problem, you know, for their sake, I would appreciate if they got in contact with me so that I can at least guide them down the right path. Yeah. Uh, yeah I do have a, a, a company that does remediation. I, w- I would say really it's, it's not just remediation. They kind of are right. in, 
have a process to create a healthy environment within your means, right? We have to work within people's means to be able to, to create as much impact for them as we can. And so, I you know, I, I, lo- you know, I love that side of things, but other than that too, I, I personally consult with a lot of folks too, even people that don't hire, you know, the, the company to create a healthy environment for one reason or another to just help guide them. Right. Because I think a lot of people throw money at things just to solve a problem, but you know, if you don't actually solve that problem, then you've wasted money, right? And so I think from that perspective, you know, my goal there is to try to help, um, you know, until I can figure out a way to standardize it so that everyone that's in this industry is kind of operating under the same guidance and principles. You know, right now, it's just, you know, at least if I give people roadmaps to things, and they can do what they need to do and, and make sure that it's done properly. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I operate at the current time of, of, of working with me. Mm-hmm. And where is your company located? What is your contact? All that good stuff. Yeah, so Home Cleanse is a nationwide company. It goes all over 50 states to help people. Uh, it's a very, you know, step-by-step process. It's kind of like when you hire an architect and you're ready to build a home. It's like you get an architect and you get an engineer and you go through these various steps and all of a sudden you got a plan, you're ready to go. We've kind of mimicked that process in, in, in and of itself in terms of, all right, we need the right data because like, we can't we can't understand what's creating the most impact if we don't have the data. And so we get the right data. Then we put together a plan of what it's going to take to essentially improve that data um, you know, and make sure that all the right steps are done in place. Because if you do things out of sequence, you make more of a mess for yourself. Um, and that leads to more costs, of course, too. And so you know, then you, it's a it's a big planning step, and then you you go and, and execute on that plan. And so I think, you know, that's that's in a nutshell how that process works. You go to homecleanse.com, you can go on and fill out, you know, information and start start to to work on that result. But um, it's not like you know the average national company where you're like, hey, I have some mold or I have a leak, come and fix it. Like that's not what we do. We we scientifically create healthy environments and then guarantee behind the scientific evidence of that. And love that's our, our, that's our ready aim fire process. I love it. I love it. So of course you guys, we're going to link all these contacts into this episode. Um, I know I mentioned it at the beginning, but uh, you can find uh, Michael at on Instagram at Michael at the Michael Rubino. Um, and he is the author of the mold medic. So grab that book. Um, reach out for consults, reach out if you need a little help in your home with home cleanse. Um, It's been so awesome to have you on today and learn even more um, about how mold can really form um, and how it really is a contributor to, you know, some of these chronic illnesses. And I think it'll open up some eyes and, you know, especially for those of our listeners who like, have been feeling some of these things that like haven't gone down this path yet. Um, You know, even if we're ruling things out, you know, we need to take into account everything that can contribute. So um, if you guys want to find us on social media, you know how to do it. If you've been a listener for long enough, but Mm -hmm. I will remind you, uh, you can find Kimmy at mouth muscle memory. You can find myself at NWMFT. You can find us both at the Munch Bunch Mayo podcast um, on YouTube and then also on Instagram. So happy Munchy Monday, Michael. Thank you again for joining us and we will see you guys all soon. Perfect. 
Thank you.